Welcome to everyone who may be watching online. Good morning to you as well. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free. Beautiful weekend, huh? Man, gorgeous out there. We will be uh, speaking this morning on the faithfulness of God. Uh, Cody just mentioned in those announcements, uh, next Sunday's annual meeting, 345. I'll just echo what he said. Everyone is uh, certainly welcome at that. If you're a member, you're welcome to vote there, but everyone is welcome to attend. Uh, I hope it won't be like the State of the Union either. <clears throat> you know, like the State of the Union, you got half the crowd doing this, the aircraft doing this. I don't want to see these people over here. Just give me one of these. We're blessed by unity here, aren't we? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we are so blessed to have unity here. Well, I wonder, uh, do you know the names William and Catherine Booth? Would you raise your hand if you know those names? All right, a handful of people, great. If you don't know their names, you will certainly know the organization that was started by William and Catherine Booth called Salvation Army. Back in 1878, this dynamic couple started that ministry together to care for the physical and spiritual needs of the poor in London. Their vision was, listen to the vision of William and Catherine Booth, it's incredible. The vision was to abolish vice and poverty by establishing homes for the homeless, farm communities where the urban poor could be trained in agriculture, training centers for prospective immigrants, homes for fallen women and released prisoners, aid for the poor, and help for alcoholics, all while preaching the gospel of Christ for regeneration to any who would receive it. Hello. Quite a vision. And for 140 years, that vision has been implemented in different ways and made an effect across two continents. It started in a very humble way by this couple, humble, ordinary couple, who was totally committed to, to the Lord in East London. By most accounts, William was the general. He was the administrator who kind of oversaw this growing, blossoming ministry as it went out across London and then into England and then in the United States. He was the general. And by most accounts, Catherine was the most effective preacher in the family. And they both preached, and together they were like this dynamic missionary team who was out there doing incredible work and uh, providing incredible change for, for the most poor in London. Their biographer recounts that toward the end of her life, Catherine contracted breast cancer. And back in the 1800s, if you got cancer, there was very little surgery for that. And so she lived with it. And it got worse and worse until the point that she could no longer serve on the field. She could no longer do the preaching or the administration. And so she stayed home in her living room as William would go out and he would administrate the other ministry and teach to different places and then take an early afternoon and come back home. And as the biographer explains it, he would come to his wife in their living room and she would be there on the rocking chair. You got to understand, because the cancer had gotten so bad, it produced this rotting cavity in her chest and this incredible stench when you walked in the room. 
And William would come up to Catherine each and every day and kiss her on the lips and hug her and sit with her. And then after some time of being together, he would pick her up in his arms and carry her upstairs to her bedroom and tend to her there before she slept. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. These were the two great covenants that William Booth stood up for, that he signed up for, a covenant call to faithful gospel ministry that every day, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult the population I am working with, I know that God has called me to a gospel ministry. And day after day, I know that God has called me to love and be faithful to and care for my wife till her dying day. We've been spending this fall talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and that story captures the fruit of the Spirit called faithfulness quite well, doesn't it? Let's read out loud from the screen the fruit of the Spirit that has kind of led us throughout this series as we're seeking to apply these nine virtues to our lives every day. We recognize that we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to become these kinds of people who demonstrate these virtues. Please read with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul concludes that with, against which there is no law. Live into this, and you know you're not getting off the path. Live into this, and you know you've got just the right path for life. Now, faithfulness here needs to be distinguished from faith. Faith is referred to in the scriptures as this initial step of trust in God. And this is different. Okay, the initial step of trust in God is how we become part of God's family by faith. We trust that God died for us in Jesus Christ because he loves us. He wants to bring us into his family, and we trust in him that he died on the cross for us. He rose from the dead. We don't have all of our answers we don't have all of our questions answered, but we know that he loves us. We have faith in that. Faithfulness is how we would live in response to that. Faithfulness is understanding the character of God who is always faithful, and that's what we'll look at first today. The character of God that is always faithful, always dependable, always reliable. And then second, as a result of that, how do we live? How shall we live in response to the beautiful character of God. Here's the definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is firm adherence to promises. It's the decision that I'm going to be dependable. I'm going to be trustworthy. I'm going to be reliable in all that I say and in all that I commit to. And when we see if a demonstration of faithfulness, as I see from many people around this room today. When we hear these stories of people like William Booth who chose to live that way, does it not make the hair on the back of your neck stand up? Right? Like, I mean, when you hear these stories, when you see people who live that way, it says, that's beautiful. 
That's the kind of life though, that I want because I know it's very rare to live that way and it calls to something very deep within me that I recognize that's the way that I am called to live as difficult as it might be. Do you feel the same way today? It's beautiful, it's radiant when we see it. Now one of the cornerstone passages for us is Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 that speaks about the faithfulness of God. And I think probably even more so when we understand the context in which the prophet Jeremiah wrote those verses that Andrea just read for us from Lamentations 3. You might remember from your Bible study and your understanding of the Old Testament that Jeremiah was a prophet who was responsible for writing the book of Jeremiah and then this follow-up letter, this short book called the Book of Lamentations. And in Lamentations, he's kind of decrying the situation that he is living in and the Israelite people are living in. If you remember the context, the people of Israel have been relegated into this exile place. That they had their homeland in Israel, and they were defeated by two separate military powers. First the Babylonians, and then second, excuse me, first the Assyrians, and then second the Babylonians. And now they're living in exile for a period of 70 years, and God is actually punishing the people of Israel for 70 years' time because they consistently failed to practice Worship of the one true God and justice toward those who are vulnerable around them. Because of their idolatry and their injustice, God punishes them. And the punishment is severe. So they go into this time of living in exile for 70 years, and God rises up this prophet by the name of Jeremiah, and he says to Jeremiah, This is your job. Get ready. Your job is to go to the people of Israel who really want nothing to do with me right now and to tell them to repent of their idolatry and their injustice. Now, Jeremiah, listen. They're not going to listen to a word that you say. But this is your job to keep telling them again and again to turn back to God in spite of their failures. But remember, they're not going to listen to a word that you say. You think your job stinks. Makes me so very thankful for you. I mean, I can't think of a worse pastorate to have. And yet, faithfully, he did that. Even as he recorded some of his laments and his sadness and his frustration with this job and with the ridicule that he was given from the people of Israel. In the midst of all of those laments, he says this. Because of the Lord's great love for us. We are not consumed. His compassions are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait on him. Isn't that incredible that he said that in the midst of that kind of situation? Truly an amazing response of trusting in the faithfulness of God in a very, very difficult context. No matter what your condition is today, you can take hope in knowing that God is faithful. And we are dependent on the unwavering faithfulness of God. Friends, we're dependent on the unwavering faithfulness of God. I want to tell you, though, this morning that your spiritual confidence, whatever you might have brought in here today, your spiritual confidence will be to a great deal dependent on how strong you trust 
in the faithfulness of God. If you believe that the faithfulness of God is great and that he is true to his word, that he is true to his character, you have a high degree of spiritual confidence. If you waver in that, you're likely to have a low degree of spiritual confidence. Now, you may question today whether God is actually faithful, and that's okay. Most of us, over the years, will, from time to time, question if God is faithful. I don't know what you brought in here today. You may not be a Christian yet. You may have been a Christian for a long, long time. You're going through a particularly difficult season of time right now. You're questioning what, whether God is faithful, and that's okay. God won't zap you for questioning that. He's a compassionate, love-filled God. But I've noticed over the years of talking with people that people question God's faithfulness for a few different reasons. And I want to share them with you. Number one, many people question the faithfulness of God, Bob, because they've bathed something in prayer and it didn't happen for, the way, for them the way they expected it to happen. Anyone had that experience? Most of us have had that experience. We prayed for something again and again, and it seems like God didn't come through for us the way we had hoped. Perhaps we also have the experience of unfaithfulness sometimes because we are impatient beings, aren't we? We all expect God to come through for us immediately, but many times we don't see the answers to our prayers until many years after the prayers themselves. And hindsight is oftentimes 2020, and so we're wise to remember what Jordan preached a few weeks ago and be patient. Maybe we need Jordan to come and give that message to us again. I probably do. Sometimes we struggle with the faithfulness of God and wonder if God is faithful just because life is stinking hard. Isn't it? Can we say that? Like life is incredibly hard at times. So we wonder, God, are you faithful to me in this? But I'm telling you, the number one reason that I see from people struggling with the faithfulness of God is this. They have misunderstood what God does promise and what he doesn't promise. That's the number one reason that people struggle with the faithfulness of God. They have a misunderstanding between what God doesn't pro does promise and what he doesn't promise. You, you see, many of us think that God promises us a nice middle-class income and a single-family home. God doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise a middle-class income. He doesn't promise us children. He doesn't promise us that our children will follow the Lord if we teach them to do so. He doesn't promise us that we will have a life without severe trials or great storms. He doesn't promise us that we will not, that we will not have family trials. He doesn't promise any of those things. Now, it's okay to ask for all of those things. That's a very reasonable thing to ask God for any of those. I ask God for those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But he doesn't promise those things. His faithfulness promises that his character never changes. His faithfulness is a guarantee that God is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. That he is not a man or woman that he would lie or change his mind. But we can rely on the fact that he is true to who he says he is he is strong he is able he is willing he is loving and that won't change he is faithful to it seven days a week across all generations you see the difference it's not mostly about us it's about his unchanging character 
I don't hear many amens. It's an amen. It's like it's a good thing because not many people we know are faithful in their character. And so it's a really, really good thing to be able to be stable in the character of God. Now, underneath that, God does make some beautiful promises to us, and I put up on the screen a number of them for you to consider. You might write these verses down. In fact, the verses are on your outline, but you might go back later on today and look up these verses one by one. Here are some of the promises of God. God is faithful to us to forgive our sins. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Thank you, Lord. God is faithful to us in the deliverance from temptation. When we are under temptation, God is faithful to deliver us from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful to us in the fulfillment of our hope of eternal life. That if you turn to him, no matter what situation you're in right now, no matter how bad you might have failed in the past, no matter what other people say about you, you turn to him, he will have you. He will have you, and he will have you for eternity. He's faithful to his promises. God is faithful to grant us strength even when we are weak. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Can I tell you that for about 20 years, I begged of God to take away my stuttering? And he didn't. And I do praise God, as his brother just said. Thank you, God, that he didn't because he has made me more dependent on his strength in my weakness, and we need that. God is faithful to make us strong when we are weak. God is faithful to slowly make us more like Christ. God is faithful to bring good from suffering. Romans 8, 28. God is faithful to us that his compassion never fails. His love is new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. You can stand on it. What do you take your stand on? God, take your stand on the faithfulness of God. That he is unchanging. That he is worthy of your trust. That you can rest in him. And you will not be shaken if you choose to rest in him. Now what's critical is that we call to mind on a regular basis the faithfulness of God. We are what we behold. We become more and more like whatever we behold. Young people in the room, understand that you will become more and more like whatever you look up to. We all become more and more like whatever we behold. And so we are wise to behold on a regular basis the strong, unchanging, beautiful character of God. What is your practice to do so? Many of us have been taking these 10 verses in this little ring, and we've been memorizing them at a head level, asking God to bring them down to a heart level, asking God to bring them into our bones, that we would become these kind of people as we reflect on the character of God. Other people I know wake up, and each day they... They go through a psalm. They meditate on a psalm such they would call to mind the character of God. There's other people, the very first thing they do in the morning is they begin to sing a hymn or turn on worship music and sing with worship music so they would call to mind the faithfulness of God. There's others still that go back to their prayer journals and they've written in their prayer journals the ways that God has answered their prayers in the past because they understand that if the God of the universe spoke and the universe left in existence, that he's the one who was and is and is to come, if he actually speaks to you, you'd want to write it down. Like you'd want to hold on to that, wouldn't you? It would be a faith builder if he did. And so I know there's people in this room who keep a prayer journal. They go back and they review those ways that God has personally been faithful to them. What is your habit of calling to mind the faithfulness of God because we become more and more like whatever we behold. Now turn with me to 
Psalm 15, and we're going to see a beautiful, beautiful portrait of a faithful man named King David, and he's going to describe for us a couple indicators, a couple descriptors of faithfulness and what it looks like in our lives, how we would grow in faithfulness personally and what it looks like in our lives. Beautiful portrait here from King David, right at the center of your Bible. I encourage you to mark this up as we go. Psalm 15, just five verses. Lord, who may dwell? Who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? This is the one, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, whoever does these things, underline this, whoever does these things shall never be shaken. You do these things, you live this way, and you won't be shaken amidst all the storms of life. Faithfulness means integrity, even when it's inconvenient. Here's the first indicator for us. We are people of integrity. Faithfulness is integrity, even when it's inconvenient for us personally. I love the word integrity, but because it comes from the math word integer. An integer, of course, is a whole number. And so we, as integers, are whole people. We're not fractions of people here at church, fractions of people at work, fractions of people on Friday night. No, we are whole people, that we are the same Monday through Saturday because we are living for the honor and glory of God as disciples of Jesus all the time. We're integers, we're people of integrity such that we say yes to God's command even, if we ever, even before we ever heard God's command. Before we even hear God's command, the answer to anything he asks of us is yes. So David asked, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one who is righteous. The one who does what is right. Who is faithful with whatever God has given them. The faithful wife. The faithful husband. The faithful student. The faithful son or daughter. The faithful citizen who does not evade their taxes. The faithful student who refuses to ever plagiarize off the internet even though it's so easy to do. Jesus says that faithfulness is established through obedience in little things. Listen to this from the message paraphrase of the Bible. Luke 16.10 says, if you're honest in little things, you'll be honest in big things. Now conversely, if you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. Isn't that true? I think it's true. Like, we've seen that, haven't we? That people are a crook in little things, and it builds up over time. And what you got to know as a follower of Christ is this. The big failures always begin with small trespasses. Small fences broken lead to the great failures. 
People don't just like slip into business fraud. It's a bunch of small trespasses over time. That's how it works. And we're all challenged by this. We're all given opportunities, maybe not on a daily basis, but probably nowadays on a weekly basis to trespass when it's convenient for us to trespass in small things. I processed this last week and was thinking about some experiences in my own life. When I was about 23, 24 years old, I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and I was about to sell my second car, which was a Subaru Legacy Wagon. When you live in Boulder, it's required that you drive a Subaru. So I was driving my Subaru, and it was time to get rid of it. I put it up for sale by owner. A number of people came and said that they were interested. A guy showed up and he said he wants to buy it. Came to my apartment, wrote up a bill of sale for $3,000, though that's what it was worth. And he asked, uh, excuse me, Adrian, well, would you mind just writing on the bill of sale instead of $3,000, just write down $1,000 so I can save a chunk of change on my taxes? And I thought about it for a moment and I said, sure, why not? Go ahead and exchange my signature and my word for a total stranger. Like, why not? It's just my word. No big deal. And I did that. I regretted that for the next five or six years because I couldn't get it back. Like, there's nothing I could do to make that right. Fast forward five or six years, my, my next car was a Honda Civic Coupe. Sweet little five-speed, love that. Then I had Elijah, and he didn't fit too well in the back of that two-door, so I had to get rid of that. And I list it for $5,000, and sure enough, so someone comes over, and guess what? The very first question was they asked me. Would you put that on the market for, of course I'll give you your $5,000, would you just write in the bill of sale $2,000 so I can save a little chunk of change on my taxes? And can I tell you, even five or six years later, I had to pause and think about it. What is my response going to be? And in that moment, because I hate to say I was a little bit of a people pleaser, I had to say almost hand over fist, no, the cost is $5,000. That's what I'll have to write on the bill of sale. And to my surprise, he wasn't frustrated. He didn't get ugly about it. He paid the $5,000. He's like, oh, you're a person of truth. How refreshing. But why was that difficult for me? I think for two reasons. Number one, we care way too much about human approval. And sadly, sometimes we care more about the approval of complete strangers than we care about the approval of God. And also, it was difficult for me because I had previous experience with breaking a small fence. And once you have experience breaking a small fence... It gets a whole lot easier to break the next fence, doesn't it? Please teach your kids this. Teach your kids that lying is never tolerated. You teach your kids from the very beginning integrity and truthfulness. Because once lying is tolerated, then integrity is the casualty. It's quiet in here. Lord, who may live on your holy mountain? The one who speaks the truth from their heart, verse 2. Whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. He keeps an oath. 
even when it hurts. And I promise you that one will not be shaken. God's standard is truthfulness, it's reliability, it's integrity, which is pretty difficult in this world because our world standard has increasingly become do whatever you can get away with. Might makes right. If nobody catches me, then it wasn't wrong. I mean, that's our world standard now. Let me give you a few examples. One study concluded that we are lied to every five minutes or approximately 200 times a day. Another study of 2,000 American parents concluded that 59% of American parents admitted lying to their children on a daily basis. Our TV doesn't get that show, honey. The candy store is closed today, I'm sorry. Human resources officers estimate that nearly 25% of the information they see on resumes is not just padding, but it's gross misinformation. Thousands of people are knowingly pirating cable TV and Netflix through their friends' passwords. Americans are now stealing $6 billion a year of streaming and cable television. And most of those shoes aren't even any good. Those shows are terrible, and yet we're stealing $6 billion worth. You see, we talk about the minutia of these things because honesty begets more honesty. And faithfulness begets more faithfulness. And trustworthiness begets more trustworthiness. We become people of integrity in the small things. Now, if, if this is hitting kind of close to home, okay, you're not the only one. There, there, there's lots of us. And, and most of us will go through a season where we have to come face to face with, am I being a faithful person? Am I being a trustworthy, reliable person? This isn't supposed to be a heavy-handed message. I'm sorry it's becoming that way. But if you're struggling with this just a little bit right now, here's a possible application, a little challenge. Tell the truth every time for the next seven days. Just make that your goal. For seven days, this is my application from Adrian's message on faithfulness. I'm going to tell the truth every time for the next seven days. Mark Twain said it so well. Just tell the truth all the time, then you don't have to remember what you said. (laughs) Very helpful for those who talk a lot. As Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. How liberating to be able to live that way. Like you can actually do this practice. Someone could ask you, oh, so have you watched that movie? Oh, yeah, I watched that movie. And then you say, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know why I just said that. I guess I care about your approval more than I should. I haven't watched that movie. I'm sorry I said that. It only takes a couple times of saying that before you feel this level of internal accountability and then integrity begins to build again. I don't know if you were here the time years ago that I talked about getting off course. You get off course, you get 1% off course, 2%, 5% off course. All of a sudden, this is your true north through here right through that garage door, but you're off course a little bit, and all of a sudden you're over at that exit. The first thing that you want to do if you realize that that you're not reliable, that you're not telling the truth, is just start to get back on course well with the little things, and it starts to build up once again. It's, again, the small things. So try that for the next seven days, and then go back to line. (laughs) Do not send me an email. Faithfulness means integrity even when it's inconvenient, and faithfulness means follow-through even when it's uncomfortable. 
And once again, all of us have failed in this way. All of us have failed to be people of follow-through from time to time. And if that's you, you simply fall upon the grace of God today. You simply admit that to the grace of God today, and God in his grace will forgive you each and every time. But we never take advantage of the grace of God, do we? Because to take advantage of the grace of God would be to misunderstand the sacrifice of God through Jesus Christ. We receive the sacrifice, the faithfulness of God for us, and we say, God, would you please compel me to be a more faithful person in response? It's so powerful to work with people who have great follow-through, isn't it? You know certain co-workers who follow through on their word every time we love working with those men and women. I am so grateful to be able to stand up in this room today and tell you you have the most amazing church staff here who always follows through on their word, and if they ever fail to, they say so. We have incredible integrity amongst our staff. I love working with every single man and woman on our staff because of their faithfulness. But every single one of us on this staff or in this audience, looking online, whatever it might be, from time to time, we have to just pause and say, what are my commitments? And am I following through on my commitments? Like if you're a husband or a wife to your spouse, you might review your marital vows. Even on an annual basis, what did I commit to here? You're an employee, you might review what are my commitments at this place of work. Your student might review your personal conduct policy. You're a volunteer in this church, you might review what does it mean to be committed to a ministry and say, I let my yes be yes, I let my no be no, I will commit. Over the past eight weeks, many of us in this room have been praying through this idea of loving the one from Sunday to every day that we've been praying, God, would you give me an opportunity to love just one person around me even this week or perhaps the, this fall? We've been asking, God, make me aware. God, soften my heart. God, make me bold. And it's possible that God has whispered to you to go from Sunday to every day by simply loving one other person who doesn't have a church home themselves, who maybe doesn't know the love of Christ the, themselves. And as God has whispered that to you, are you willing? Are you willing to take a step out in faith and saying, yeah, I will love someone who doesn't yet know the love of Christ uh, themselves. I will love someone who doesn't yet have a church home for themselves. It's been so cool to see a number of the stories uh, that are starting to come through through these tried it, shared it stories as people are seeking to simply be kind to their neighbors and to their coworkers and others. There's a life group here in our church that committed about eight or nine weeks ago to one flood victim. And their commitment was this, we're going to work with this person every single week for our life group time until this person gets back in their home the way it was. And over the last eight or nine weeks, every week they've been at her house helping her to get back in. A gal showed up at a construction site with breakfast several times to simply treat and bless the concrete workers at the construction site as she was getting to know them. A man walked through his neighborhood and invited all the men in his neighborhood to forge our weekly men's study. Uh, one of the things that Susie and I did last year was a little s'mores event on Halloween. That as people came by, they could stop by and they wouldn't get a candy bar. They'd get a graham cracker and a marshmallow and a little piece of chocolate and they could make their own s'more. And they have to talk to us for 10 minutes. We're going to do that again just because we want to get to know our neighbors better, as I know you do as well. God is compelling us toward this power 
of loving the one or the two or a handful of people right around you because, oh, thank you, God, in your faithfulness, you invite us to be a part of building your kingdom, that we get to be God's ambassadors, his representatives, wherever he calls us. Now, you might say, man, what if I fail? You only fail if you don't try. God doesn't call you to success. God calls you to faithfulness. You take the next step out in faithfulness toward God. He doesn't call us to success. He calls us to faithfulness. Who's he calling you to love right now? What commitments is he calling you to follow through on right now? We ask for his help, and the faithful one is sure to give it. So, Father, we bow before you. And we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I praise you, God, that you're true to your word. And you're true to your character. And we can indeed trust that your character is unchanging. We say, God, with thanks, your love never fails. We are never consumed because of your love. We are never totally overwhelmed because of your faithfulness to us. That no matter what we're dealing with right now, God, you are strong and you are loving. And so we stand in your faithfulness, oh God. I'm not sure what you've heard from the Lord today. Maybe he's whispering to you something about needing to meditate on his faithfulness a little bit more. Perhaps now in the silence of your hearts or even as we sing, you would commit yourself to doing that. Maybe you heard a level of conviction today that you, you just need to start with a seven-day goal of telling the truth every time. Nothing wrong with that. You simply admit that to God and ask for his help. Maybe it's a recognition that there's a commitment you've made to a neighbor or to someone that you deeply love that you want to be more faithful to them. Perhaps now would be the time to simply tell God that and to ask Him for help. For great is the faithfulness of God whose spirit is in us to strengthen us and sustain us to make us more like him 